I'm Stephen Wright, and you're listening to Last Days of Diana, a Beyond Reasonable Doubt series from Mail Plus. Episode 6, Diana's Life on Trial. Mohammed Al-Fayed went into court claiming that the Stevens report into Diana and Dodi's deaths had been a whitewash. We're looking for justice, and I hope we see, can see the light of what's happening today. The inquests into the deaths of Diana, Princess of Wales, and Dodie Fayed officially began on the 2nd of October 2007, with the swearing-in of a jury of six women and five men. The coroner, Lord Justice Scott Baker, delivered a lengthy opening statement giving general instructions to the jury and introducing the evidence. Mohammed Al-Fayed, having earlier repeated his claim that his son and Diana were murdered by the royal family, immediately criticised the opening statement as biased. Now they are trying to cover up most of the documents which Scotland Yard have already discovered. And we have to insist today that no cover-up, all the documents has to be clean, all the witnesses has to appear clear and fair trial. This is what we need. The inquest lasted more than six months and heard evidence from 250 witnesses, including the Operation Paget team. Mohammed Al-Fayed's legal team, led by Michael Mansfield QC, cross-examined witnesses in order to challenge the inquiry's conclusions. Once again, photos of Diana covered the front pages of newspapers as the world's press reported the information coming out at the hearing, which was held at London's Royal Courts of Justice. Lord Stevens personally gave evidence at the trial. One of the consequences of these allegations and your subsequent investigation was that a lot of very personal and sensitive information came out, didn't it, about Diana and her private life. It was a really unfortunate byproduct of these allegations. Some people even went so far as to call them smears against her. I mean, during the inquest, her whole private life was chewed over by lawyers. How did you see that as a figurehead of the investigation? Oh, yeah, I think that was a very difficult and unpleasant part of the job. We had to do some very intimate investigations. We had to do some intimate kind of come to intimate conclusions based on what her friends had said, based on what the blood had said in the car, which had been analysed. That was one of the most difficult part of the investigation, to be honest. But it had to be done, bearing in mind all of the allegations. Remember, we saw 300 witnesses, took statements from them. That had to be done because it wasn't done. Then the proper conclusion, the proper evidence could have been, couldn't have been put forward to the coroner and also to the jury. Dr Dick Shepherd was one of those who gave evidence at the inquiry. Did you feel under pressure before you gave evidence at the inquest? Well, I always feel under pressure before I give evidence. One has to have a certain element of not concerned, but certain elements of anxiety because you think you've covered every base and you just hope you have, especially with someone like Michael Mansfield, who had questioned me many, many times in court and I knew his skills at questioning. So in the end, no, I didn't feel challenged. I felt that we had looked at this so carefully. 
we'd looked at this not just from how do we prove that this was just an accident. We looked at it from every point of view, considering all possible aspects of how Diana could have had received this injury, all possible aspects of how she could have been managed at the scene by the paramedic on the rate to hospital, in hospital. Was there anything, anything that we could find that would challenge this hypothesis that it was an accident? What was your conclusion around the pathology in relation to Diana in particular? There were two branches that I looked at. One was with regard to Diana, and my conclusion there was that she had died as a result of bleeding, as a result of this torn, hidden vein in her lung, that the surgery that had been performed had been performed correctly, there were no mistakes in the surgery, and that she had died as a result of this injury sustained during a high-velocity vehicle impact. And then what about the other branch of your inquiry? Because you looked at the toxicology relating to Henri Paul too. Uh, Once again, I concluded that he died from multiple injuries, as we'd expect. But there was the subsidiary branch that is just looking at the sampling of the blood and the discrepancies, the slight discrepancies in Professor Leconte's report about where that had come from. And that then sort of knocked into how the toxicology was analysed, how it was interpreted. And there were some subsidiary gaps in the management of those samples, which we've talked about already. In the end, it raised a hair. The hair was effectively sorted out by the DNA analysis of the residual samples. So you were able to prove that the blood samples were, in fact, from Henri Paul and that the original findings of the French post-mortem that he had been drinking stood up. So basically, what you had here was a road traffic accident involving someone driving too fast, who'd been drinking, and with most of those in the car not wearing seatbelts. Now, going back to my days in local newspapers in the late 80s, that's a set of circumstances which I was reporting on all the time. Yet in this instance... It happened in Paris and involved the mother of a future king. But really it's quite a mundane, though tragic, set of circumstances. One that people in your line of business sadly see all too often. As you say, the tragedy in each and every single road traffic accident is huge to that individual family. And yet you as a reporter and I as a pathologist will know that we go to the coroner's court or we read reports and it happens Day after day after day, you know, there is a saying in medicine, common things occur commonly. And that's exactly what happened here. The trouble is when you're talking about the mother of the future King of England, people cannot believe that something as mundane as a car crash caused her to die in a life that was such an amazing event, so surrounded by publicity and interest. Lord Stevens predicted at the start of the inquest that his findings may never satisfy those who were convinced that Diana had died in suspicious circumstances. Mohammed Al-Fayed gave evidence to Operation Padgett and put forward his allegations of a murder conspiracy to the inquest. Michael Cole also gave evidence. I was a witness to Padgett. I spent five hours with an inspector, Jane Scotchbrook, her version of what I'd said to her was inadequate and I had to rewrite it. 
and I sent a very long statement, most of which was ignored by the Paget inquiry. All the inquiry was doing effectively was trying to knock down various theories that had been put forward in order to bring about and to ensure a verdict of accidental death. And if you'd sat for six months in the inquest, there would have been no doubt in your mind that the coroner, Thomas Scott Baker, went out of his way to try and bring that about. Is it your opinion that evidence has been suppressed? Because you were talking earlier about all the things which you say that Lord Stevens and his team didn't do. I need to, you know, to be fair to them, say, well, you know, if there wasn't evidence, in their opinion, to pursue, what could they have done? So uh, are you saying that evidence has been suppressed somewhere, uh, or there is still a, you believe there been some sort of cover-up uh, about the truth of what happened as you perceive it? The truth of the matter is that key witnesses refused to appear before the inquest in London. The French pathologist and the toxicologist, Dominique Lecomte and Gilbert Pepin, refused to attend the British inquest or to give their evidence remotely by television from Paris. Prince Charles and the Duke of Edinburgh both refused to be witnesses. The Duke sent along his private secretary to testify on his behalf about letters the Duke sent to the Princess Diana. But the copies which were provided to the court were virtually meaningless because they were so heavily redacted with black pen obscuring whole passages. Mohammed Al-Fayed's team objected throughout the inquest to the evidence presented by the Padgett inquiry and continued to claim an establishment cover-up was attempting to conceal the real cause of Diana's death. It might be useful here to go through each set of accusations made about Diana's death and the conclusions Lord Stevens and his team came to. Can I just go through quickly with you each of the main conspiracy theories so you can address them one by one? That Diana was about to get engaged, not the case as far as your inquiry was concerned. No, because we're pretty sure that that night Dodie probably had a ring in his possession when he went to Arsene Hussein, the flat, and then they had to change. They were going to a restaurant. They had to change their plans and then go to the Ritz. And then we had all the drama of the paparazzi. And we suspect that he was going to give her the ring at that stage or whatever. We don't think she would have accepted the engagement or the ring, but that's another matter. So that's where we are with that. And we're pretty sure of our facts on that. That she was pregnant. She certainly was not pregnant. I mean, we know that from statements taken from her friends, which I don't want to go into in terms of the circumstances, but she certainly was not pregnant. The issue about her being embalmed and this being part of the cover-up? Well, it wasn't part of the cover-up. There was a really good reason to why she was embalmed, which is very sensitive, and that was not part of the cover-up whatsoever. And the letter written by Princess Diana predicting her death, that uh, the breaks would be tampered with. You were able to establish the importance or relevance of that as well, weren't you? We were. We spoke to everybody in relation to that, including Patrick Jepson, her private secretary, 
and we came to the conclusion that wasn't the case. In fact, the facts relating to that were that her car was examined and there was a slight problem with the brakes, but no one had tampered with them. I think it was something that the brakes were binding or something of that nature, but there was certainly no evidence of the tampering of the brakes. And I think everybody we saw and took statements from, including Mr. Burrell, realised that there was, there was nothing in that whatsoever. And as uh, previously addressed, but just for the record here as well, the Duke of Edinburgh was involved in the plot. That, again, you dismissed. That's totally untrue. That is not the case. We confirm that by all the investigations we made that the allegation was that MI5 and MI6 were involved. They were not. And he certainly was not. In fact, quite to the contrary, I think he was someone who actually had a, a fairly good relationship with her and actually supported her in some of the difficult periods she was going through. Conspiracy theorists also had a field day with the CCTV cameras covering the Alma Tunnel being switched off on the night of the crash. What significance was there in that allegation? None at all. I'm afraid that the evidence showed that those CCTV cameras were off for various periods of time. Actually, the French police came up with a good schedule showing us that that wasn't unusual. So, unfortunately, uh, for those going through the Alma Tunnel, the CCTV wasn't working most of the time, certainly uh, It wasn't a very efficient system. Finally, the mystery over the white Fiat, which collided with the Mercedes evidently shortly before the crash. The Fiat's paint marks were found on the wrecked Mercedes. The fact that the Fiat had never been found has added to the mystery. Some suggest it was used as a murder weapon. I was in Paris four years ago looking for the driver of the white Fiat, which is believed to have been involved in the collision and was subsequently re-sprayed red. A few weeks ago, in preparation for this series, I finally made contact with him directly, but he still declined to comment. That's an unresolved issue, isn't it, Lord Stevens? Because that driver hasn't cooperated with your inquiry either. That's absolutely right. As you know personally, he still doesn't. But the circumstantial evidence, and I put it no higher than that, was that he was there. Not only was the car changed in colour, but he owned a big dog that some of the witnesses had seen at the back of the vehicle. He certainly was there, we think. However, we haven't got any firm evidence on that, and we were in a difficult position because, you know, he's under French law. One of the reasons I think he never came forward, and you know as well as anyone that uh, we were close to getting him to come forward, is that he's frightened of criminal charge, which if you leave the scene of an accident, you can actually be charged with a criminal offence in France, which has quite a substantial imprisonment sentence, I think, if you're found guilty. So that's probably part of it. Whether he comes forward in some time or another, we don't know. But we've done our best, and you've certainly done your best, to try and get him to cooperate for, which is the last piece of the jigsaw in this particular episode. Lord Justice Scott Baker began his summing up to the jury on the 31st of March 2008. He concluded that there was not a shred of evidence that Diana's death had been ordered by Prince Philip or organised by the security services. The jury then retired to consider five verdicts. An inquest is not designed to decide guilt, so it can't give a verdict of murder. The jury's job is to determine the cause of death and the most serious verdict they can deliver is of unlawful killing. In the end, the jury returned a verdict of unlawfully killed by the grossly negligent driving of the following vehicles, 
i.e. the paparazzi, and of the Mercedes driver Henri Paul. Princes William and Harry released a statement in which they said that they agree with the verdicts and are both hugely grateful to the coroner and the jury. Mohammed al-Fayed also said that he'd accept the verdicts and abandon his 10-year campaign to prove that Diana and Dodie were murdered in a conspiracy. When the jury, after considerable deliberation, delivered its verdict of unlawful killing, Mohammed immediately accepted that verdict and thanked the jury, while at the same time hoping that further information would emerge in due course, perhaps as people reach the end of their lives and feel they want to make a clean breast of things that they had perhaps withheld before. The verdict of unlawful killing was the most serious one that the jury could have returned, verdict of murder being forbidden to them by the coroner, Thomas Scott Baker. Now, the verdict of unlawful killing subsumes homicide or manslaughter by one or more unknown persons. What Mohammed would say was that the verdict which the jury delivered blamed the driver and the following vehicles. The following vehicles were not limited to the pursuing photographers on scooters and on cars, but other vehicles that have never been traced, nor have their drivers. A large dark car was parked on the ramp outside the, the tunnel, and one of its occupants was seen to walk back into the tunnel to inspect the wreckage of the crash. Now, that person has never been identified or pursued, and one of the witnesses to that, Gary Hunter, a London lawyer who saw it, he's now dead, unfortunately, but he gave compelling testimony that this had happened. That's just one of the facts, one of the factors that should have been pursued. After the French inquiry and after the British inquest, everybody seemed to walk away and said, well, that's the job done. But there were so many untied up loose ends to these tragic deaths in Paris that this inquiry, this speculation, will go on forever. There will be articles, podcasts, there will be plays, there will be operas, there will be films forever because there are so many unanswered questions. It wasn't Mohammed creating conspiracy theories. It was ordinary people looking at the facts and saying something isn't right here. Michael Cole is certainly right about this. There are people who still don't accept that Diana died as a result of a tragic car accident. I asked Lord Stevens why he thought that was the case. I think it relates to who she is and was. I mean, she was an icon. She was worshipped by people, very glamorous, very glamorous woman. I think it's very hard sometimes for people to come to the conclusion that someone can die in a road traffic accident in these circumstances without some other involvement. It's just a mindset. However, I think, you know, when we started this particular inquiry, I think, it was, as I said earlier, 70 75% of people thought there was a conspiracy. I think the latest survey, which was done 
I think within a month or two of the finish of the, of the coroner's inquiry, it went down to 22%, something like that. So who knows? But there will always be people around that cannot believe that someone like her died in those most horrendous and tragic circumstances. Lord Justice Scott Baker said there is not a shred of evidence to support the allegation there'd been a murder conspiracy. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, no one's more experienced than Lord Justice uh, Scott Baker. At the end of the day, there wasn't a shred of evidence. If there had been, we'd have found it. And at the end of the day, the jury totally agreed, all 12 of them agreed with the conclusions that we had made originally and all the evidence that had gone in front of the jury over six months at the High Court, which was incredibly detailed. All of these particular things that are in the 831 pages of our report were cross-examined over. I personally was, other people were. And, you know, since that day, we haven't heard very much in terms of any, well, we haven't heard anything in relation to anyone questioning what we've done. But there are still some unanswered questions about the events that led up to Dinah's death. And, of course, those who refused to believe her death was an accident. You've been listening to Last Days of Diana, a Beyond Reasonable Doubt podcast series for Mail Plus, with me, Stephen Wright. Next time. Here we are, 24 years on from her death, and yet she still dominates the news in quite the way she did. We could never find any critical incident or event that led Princess Diana to be so paranoid at this time in 1995. Do you think Mrs Parker Bowles was a factor in the breakdown of your marriage? Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. There were, I think it's fair to say, rogue journalists who were pumping out fake news. These people have to answer to their own conscience. That's what I would be saying. You know, they have to look at themselves and think, did they do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons? If you've enjoyed listening, please consider telling your friends. And if you'd like more on this and other stories, you can visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more, including previous Beyond Reasonable Doubt episodes.